Well, if you have your Bibles open there to 2 Samuel chapter 16, like I said, we'll be looking at the whole chapter, but I'm going to read to you right now verses 15 through 23. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. You can grab a pew Bible if you need to and open up to page 268 uh, to be able to read along. Hear the word of the Lord. The author writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Verse 15. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem. And Ahithophel with him. And when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom should I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. And then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel, what shall we do. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days, the council of Ahithophel the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather together here today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Wednesday is Valentine's Day, um, and surely enough, love is in the air. When I was in college, um, I was in the earliest stages of talking to a beautiful girl. Um, and we lived in different cities, so we had not been able to go on a date yet. So all we had was the phone. And so we spent a lot of time talking on the phone, but it was that stage of the relationship where you're kind of trying to figure out really what's going on, you know? And all you have is the phone. You've not even been able to go on a date yet. So we talk on the phone a lot and text and all these different kinds of things. Back then, uh, there, there was this thing called BlackBerry Messenger. And so we both had BlackBerry cell phones, and we would use BlackBerry Messenger to talk and uh, talk every day. And so I remember talking to my friend, my best friend, roommate, uh, you know, strategizing about, I thought this is going well, I thought things are going in the right direction, I think I'm going to ask her out a date, we're both back home for uh, Christmas break, but we'll just kind of see, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, mess things up. And so one night we're talking on the phone, I said, well, I better, better call tonight, we got, get up early tomorrow, whatever like that. And I said, so good night, talk to you later. And she said, uh, all right, good night, bud. Glad y'all think it's funny. Uh, uh, I'll tell you, it ruined my day. And, and so I went over to 
Lee Harper, my roommate, and said, it's over. This is it. Like, I've been misreading the tea leaves here. Uh, we're in an absolute mess. Um, so the next day, I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to give up. So I gave Whitney Walker another call the next day and kept pressing on. And guess what? We're married now. Uh, she said later, thank, thank the Lord, later she said, as, I, as it came out of my mouth, I said, oh no, why did I say it like that? You know, I thought I'd been relegated permanently to the friend zone. And uh, instead though, we were, as it turns out, falling in love. Things are not always as they seem, are they? Things aren't always as they seem. I was absolutely devastated. I mean, I thought it was all over, and yet it was only the beginning. And things aren't always as they seem, and the same is true in the passage that we're looking at today. In in fact, this passage is chock full. As you read through it, it's chock full of deceiving circumstances, things that are not as they seem at face value. And some of these deceiving circumstances, in fact, are are such that they might even take your breath away as you read it, if you don't know the rest of the story. They're, they're, they're intense. There are things like we're going to learn here in a moment about Mephibosheth and other things like that that just nearly take your breath away as you read them. In all of this, though, we must be reminded, this evil out of his own house is something that David brought upon himself through his sin with Bathsheba. Re- remember what... The prophet Nathan said to David on behalf of the Lord, Thus says the Lord, this is from 2 Samuel 12, just a few chapters ago, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And so this rebellion, of course, is being led by David's own son, Absalom. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. That is, God is exposing David's private sin publicly, and he's bringing judgment on David and on his house because of David's sin. And yet, as that passage tells us, and as the rest of the story tells us, as the whole Bible tells us, despite David's sin and despite this judgment that God is pouring out on him during this season, God's gracious purpose for David remained. God kept his promises. God's promises, God's faithfulness is not dependent on our ability to perform. It's based on God's character and integrity. And when God says he's going to do something, God does it. It was conditional. He would have said so, but it wasn't. He promised by his own goal, for his own namesake and for his own glory to establish the throne of David forever. Uh, this morning, I, I want to show you three ways that you can make God's truth, God's promises, God's faithfulness, your, the north star of your life, no matter what circumstances you may find yourself in. Now, some of us are in circumstances that face value, our consequences for our own sins. Some of us are in circumstances that seem to have come about through no fault of our own, and some of us are somewhere in the middle, perhaps. And, and some of us are just, life's good, and, and we're not in any tough circumstances, but we need to be prepared for when life's not so good, don't we? We always need to be prepared for that. So I want to show you three ways today to focus on the truth of God's gospel, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter if you are in what might seem like deceiving circumstances. 
If you find yourself in life looking horizontally and saying, this doesn't seem to match up with what God has said is going on vertically between me and Him, this sermon's for you. These three points will help you, I think, make God's truth the anchor of your life. Here's the first point. First point is this. God is faithful when we seem betrayed. God is faithful when we seem betrayed. We haven't read verses 1-4 through four yet, but simply enough, here's what happens. happens. We're presented with what seems to be a stunning betrayal in the opening verses of this chapter. Zeba, who was the servant of Saul and Jonathan and now uh, serves Mephibosheth, who has been welcomed into the king's court, he comes to the king who is on the run and he had to leave quickly. So presumably they desperately need supplies. And so Zeba takes advantage of this situation and comes with donkeys for the king to ride and provisions, food, all sorts of things that they need. And in all of the good things that Zeba brings to the king, something is noticeably missing. Where is the son of your master? David asked him. Where is Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, who David spared because of the oath that he had made, because of his graciousness, because of what the Lord had done in his life? Why is Mephibosheth not leaving with me? Why has he not come along? 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 3 says this, Zeba said to the king, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, Now I want you to feel the weight of this sentence. Today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Now imagine being on the run and this man who you've been so kind and nice to, the son of your best friend, uh, this son who you have shown unwarranted mercy to, uh, has betrayed you. It's a stunning betrayal. And for those of us who treasure the story of David and Mephibosheth, it, it may feel like it sours the situation, but I want to encourage you uh, to not stop reading. As you go forward later, David encounters Mephibosheth, and we, and we learn later that, that Ziba has not told the truth. He's a shrewd man. Mephibosheth was deceived by Ziba and remained loyal to David, but because of the deception of Ziba, wasn't able to flee the city. Nonetheless, David doesn't have that perspective. All David knows is what he's told and that Mephibosheth isn't there and he has no reason not to trust Ziba at this point. And so what does he do? He says, well, all of Mephibosheth's lands then belong to you. Nonetheless, as friends seem to be deserting David, and some like Ahithophel actually already have deserted David, it was important that he focus on God. It was important that he remained focused on the faithfulness of God. Now, 2 Samuel chapter 16 doesn't really show us David's focus on the faithfulness of God in these circumstances, but we have a, a benefit of having a psalm that David wrote. I mentioned it last week. David wrote during this season of life the third psalm, Psalm 3. I want you to hear David's heart in Psalm chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. He says, many are saying of me, there is no salvation for him in God. He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy Hill. I lay down and slept, and I woke again. Why? Because the Lord 
sustained me. Some of you right now in this moment feel alone. And, and maybe, perhaps, you feel like you're alone. You feel like you're betrayed. You feel like you're isolated because of your faithfulness to Jesus. I think we've all been there at some point in our life where we feel cut off from others or cut off from a situation because it's what it requires to follow God, what it requires to follow Christ. Uh, some of you here this morning may, may be in what some theologians call a dark night of the soul. You feel cut off from the Lord. You feel like maybe God has abandoned you. But I want you to know this. So long as you have Jesus, so long as you have put your faith and trust in Christ, so long as you belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to you, God is for you. God is sustaining you. The Lord is your shield. But pastor, you don't know. You don't know what I'm like. You don't know what I've done. You don't know uh, uh, how difficult I make it for, for God to love me. It would be so easy, you might say to me, for him to just cast me off. In fact, if I were him, I think I would have already. I want you to know something. All of us are in the same boat. We're all sinners who don't obey Jesus perfectly. And yet, God won't abandon you, not because of your performance, not because of how good you've done. I'm not saying God doesn't legitimately love you. He does. But He loves you in such a way that He loves you like He loves His Son. And He has made provision for you according to His justice and according to His grace to be welcomed into His family by adoption through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so God would no sooner abandon you than He would abandon the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that that is not only unlikely, but in fact is impossible. It's impossible because of the love which the Father has for the Son. Look at this passage. God remained faithful to David despite these consequences, despite these circumstances, because of his purpose of grace. How much surer and truer will his faithfulness be to you, to those of you who have put your trust and faith in Jesus, to those of us who are united to Jesus by faith. We know that God will remain faithful to us because he has promised to do so through his gospel and through the work of his son. Oh, God is faithful even when we seem betrayed. But second of all, God blesses even when we seem cursed. God blesses when we seem cursed. In verses 5-13, through 13, we're introduced to Shimei or Shimei. As he was walking along one hillside, David and his retinue are, are walking, it seems like, down sort of a valley. They're on one side of the valley and on the other, and we don't know how wide this is or anything like that, but somehow or another, on the other side, of, on another hillside, Shimei seems to come out and is sort of walking parallel to them as they go all along their way. And I'll tell you, he did not come out to encourage as he's walking along the other hillside, he's able to hurl curses and stones and dirt uh, across the valley. I don't know if you've ever been hit with a dirt clod before, but it's no fun at all, much less a rock. And as he's cursing David, he's shouting things to him like, See, your evil is on you, you man of blood. Now, Shimei doesn't know what he's talking about, does he? Because he says that David is experiencing what he's experiencing because of what he did 
to his countrymen, to Shimei's countrymen, to Saul and Jonathan, the house of Saul. He says, their blood is on you. But as we know from the story, God's authoritative version of of the facts here, what God has revealed to us actually happened. David had nothing to do with the death of Saul and Jonathan. In fact, the opposite was true. Saul wanted David's blood on his own hands, not vice versa. In fact, David wouldn't allow anyone to strike the Lord's anointed king. And so Shimei is hurling curses and blame and and all sorts of horrible things at David because he blames him for the death of his relative Saul and Jonathan. Now Abishai, as uh, as is proper for his own nature, decides he wants to put a swift end to this haughty talk. I'm just going to go on over there and and just... uh, um, relieve him of the burden of carrying his head around down this valley, and, and we'll just take care of it, and that'll be the end of these curses. Now, you've got to give some credit to Shimei, don't you? I mean, you're a bold guy to just go out and start cursing the king. I mean, you've really got to assume things are the way they are. But here's the reality. David refuses to allow Abishai to go decapitate Shimei, as satisfying as it might have been, just to put an end to this. Because what David says, the logic that David says here in this intervening passage is one of a few things will happen. Number one, we recognize this, God will ultimately adjudicate this situation. David said, we're we're not going to work this out here with the sword. In fact, David says, God may be cursing me. I mean, how do we know that God didn't tell Shimei to go curse me? I mean, look around you, Abishai. Doesn't look good, does it? So so David's owning his own sin. So he says, perhaps that's the case. And if that's the case, then Shimei is right. We have no right to go uh, kill him if God's telling him to do this. But he says, but on the other hand, if I am not cursed of God, if God continues to bless me, he says, then God will repay me good for the cursing I have received. In other words, we'll take God's good over the temporary satisfaction of revenge. If God's judging, then we'll receive God's judgment. It's what we deserve. But if it's not God's judgment, if God doesn't want us to be cursed, God will give us blessing. And there's nothing that Shimei can say that can really diminish the beauty and goodness of what God can do for us, what God can say about it. Uh, Brothers and sisters, um, we need to remember that even when we seem cursed in this life, that doesn't mean that God's blessings have been removed. In fact, so often the opposite is the case. Was there anyone ever in history more blessed than the Lord Jesus Christ? He was the blessed man par excellence. He was the one who was perfectly blessed. And yet, were there not times when the Lord Jesus seemed to be cursed? People hated him and people tried to drive him out of their towns. Goodness gracious. The Bible itself says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. But in reality, Jesus was blessed. It didn't remove God's blessing. Now listen, I'll be the first to admit, it's difficult to be cursed. It's difficult to be seen in this way. One day, a couple of us were walking out around the church campus, kind of evaluating some things out there, and a, a troubled woman came up and began talking to us, and when I told her some ways she could get some help, not that we wouldn't help her, but we were not equipped in that moment especially to help someone with the kind of needs she had, and I started telling her how, we, how she might be able to get some help, 
And uh, she looked at me square in the eyes and said, you're just the devil, aren't you? And I said, um, I don't know. I don't think so. But, you know, I don't, I don't think so. And, and so we went about our way, and I didn't think much more about it. And uh, a few days later, Whitney and I and the kids were meeting some folks at Dairy Queen for ice cream, and we pulled up into the parking lot, and the lady was there in the parking lot. And so we were waiting on our friends to get there, and I told my wife, now you got to understand, guys, I, I'm kind of used to these kind of situations, but not so much with my family. And so as we're getting ready to go into the Dairy Queen, Whitney said, Matt, do we just need to leave? Do we need to go somewhere else? I said, no, no, no. This won't be a problem, I promise. You won't have to worry about it. She's not going to mess with us in there. And she was like, how can you say that? Like, why do you think that? I said, well, would you go to Dairy Queen with the devil? And, uh, and um, of course not. Uh, it's difficult, though, in these circumstances when you're being cursed by someone, right? Called the devil or called worse. It's difficult in these moments not to want to retaliate. But we need to remember that God's blessings are what matters. Does the hatred of others mean that God doesn't love us? No. No, nothing can be further from the truth. Every prophet of God, all sorts of people throughout the Bible dealt with the hatred of other people. Listen, brothers and sisters, we are Christians and we will always take the high road with an eye towards God's truth rather than an eye toward our circumstances. It is so easy to get drawn down into the drama and the mess of this world. But brothers and sisters, no matter how cursed our circumstances might seem, if we we are in Christ. We are blessed now and forevermore. Now and forevermore. There's no question. We have to focus on God's truth, not on our circumstances. And finally, we need to remember this. Not only does God bless when we seem cursed, not only is God faithful when we seem betrayed, but third of all, God is working when we seem conquered. God is at work when we seem conquered. In the meantime, as David's on the run and being cursed, by this man Shimei, uh, sort of a lightweight, you know, David's out having to deal with this kind of thing. In the meantime, Absalom is having a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And in doing so, along the way, he encounters Hushai. And I want you to remember Hushai because Hushai is David's double agent who's going to help thwart the advice of David's old advisor, Ahithophel, who's now joined forces. He's joined the rebellion against the true king. He's working with Absalom. That's another bit here as Absalom encounters Hushai where things aren't as they seem. Hushai codes his language. Long live the king. Long live the king. I will remain loyal to the one who God and the people have chosen. He's sort of speaking with double meaning, right? Absalom understands him to be speaking about himself, but he's still talking about David. And just to be safe, though, Hushai does say, I'll serve the king's son. Uh, but Absalom assumes he speaks of him. So as Absalom enters Jerusalem, Ahithophel develops a shrewd plan to solidify control. It's a, it's a plan that's uh, a dirty plan, for lack of a better word. He decides to have Absalom sleep with his father's concubines. You might remember as he was fleeing, David left ten women, ten of his concubines. Now, I want to say this is a, a sign, though. This doesn't mean that God supports the practice of concubinage in case anyone's wondering I'm anti-concubine 
I don't think uh, that's a practice that God is endorsing in a passage like this. In fact, I think this is showing more of God's judgment on sin, including, I think, the, the practice of having concubines. But nonetheless, he says, let's have Absalom sleep with these ten women, these concubines who have been left behind in Jerusalem. And the thinking, Ahithophel says, is that this will solidify Absalom as king. Because anyone who supports Absalom will say, this is the kind of guy that we need. This is a guy who takes action. This is a guy who is showing the sort of stuff that kings are made of. And those who are on the fence will say, well, there's no hope of reconciliation because Absalom, as the Bible says, has made himself such a stench in the nostrils of his father. There's no hope of reconciliation. And Absalom clearly has the high ground. He clearly seems to have superior forces. And so what we need to do is go ahead and follow Absalom. And at the same time, unwittingly, they're fulfilling God's judgment on David. Absalom's men set up a tent on the same roof where David's sin began. And in so doing, they show the sick irony of where sin leads. And they set this up and they do this in a way where the public knows exactly what is going on as Absalom completes his rebellion by sleeping with his father's concubines. Now, could anything more clearly signal the defeat of the king? Uh, Could anything more clearly show the total success of this rebellion? David is deposed by his son. He's on the road in the wilderness He's betrayed by family and friends. He's cursed by his enemies, new and old. He's seemingly cut off from the promises and blessings of God. And now his own son has taken his home and his concubines and made a public show of his strength and virility. But does that mean God is not at work? Of course not. Don't you see the irony of what's happening here? This faithful and gracious king seems betrayed. This blessed man of God seems cursed. The warrior king of Israel seems conquered. And here God has exposed David's private sin with public judgment before all Israel. But in the midst of considering those things, would you also look forward with me and consider David's greater son who received God's judgment not for his own sin like David did, but for my sin, for your sin, for King David's sin, for the Bible says the sins of the world. This greater son was betrayed by his friends, was he not? Judas, of course, we think of primarily, but don't forget Peter, who he later restored. This greater son became the curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Don't you see how 
In the life of Jesus, it seemed like sin, death, and the devil seemed to have the final victorious word over the Lord of light and life. Could there have ever been a darker moment than that Saturday when the Lord Jesus Christ was in the grave? Didn't it seem like He was betrayed and cursed and conquered? But brothers and sisters, things are not always as they seem. Things are not always as they seem. And in that lowest moment, days after the crucifixion, when any hope of life would be snuffed out, the Lord Jesus Christ stepped out of the grave. What seemed like defeat was actually victory. What seemed like losing was actually His winning. Because in dying on the cross, in becoming the curse for us, Jesus Christ was undoing the power of the curse of sin, which is death. In His death and His resurrection, Jesus was laying down His life for His friends, including Peter who betrayed Him. And He, in so doing, brought many sons to glory. Uh, Brothers and sisters, when it seemed like Jesus Christ was defeated, He was actually conquering. And today, brothers and sisters, I want you to know, you can know the greater Son of David. You can know the Messiah. You can know this Lord. You can know Jesus Christ by faith. You may seem betrayed, but God is faithful through Jesus. You may seem cursed, but God will bless you through Jesus. You may seem totally defeated by sin, by your circumstances, but I want you to know today, God offers you salvation through Jesus. Would you trust Him today? I want to offer an invitation. If you've never put your trust and faith in Christ for the first time, I don't want you to focus on how things seem. Things aren't always as they seem. I have news for you that seems too good to be true. If you would only turn from your sins, and you know they're getting you nowhere anyway, the best thing you're getting from them is guilt, shame, those other things, fleeting pleasure maybe, but even that is fleeting. And there's a diminishing return on it as well. All you have to do is turn from those sins. They're doing you no good anyway. Repent. And then you turn to God in faith through Jesus and you will be saved. 